the source for James Madison sports news and conversation from the Daily News Now here's Shane Medlin and Katie Harper. Welcome back. Continues to be a busy time for JMU sports. Uh, pretty much across the board, we've got everything from football to basketball continuing, spring sports starting up, including the now 2-0 JMU lacrosse team, which um, after a narrow victory against then number three North Carolina, the Dukes are now number three in the nation after that season opening victory. They just absolutely crushed Virginia Tech on Wednesday night. Katie, you were there. Um, I watched on TV, but <clears throat> in person, was it as dominating as it seemed watching from the outside? Yeah, it was. And honestly, I don't. I, Jamie could have scored more. I think there were a few shots and passes that they wish they could get back. But going into that game, I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be as much of a blowout as it was for some reason in recent years, especially Virginia Tech has just always seem to stump JMU no matter how highly ranked JMU is. Last year, I think it was a two-goal win for JMU. Year before, it was the first time in program history that the Dukes lost to Virginia Tech. So I was kind of expecting another hard-fought game. The Dukes were expecting a hard-fought game. Shelly Clay said after the game that she wasn't really expecting uh, to use as much of her bench as she did. And it was a luxury to her. She said that she was expecting a full 60-minute fight. And JMU just got out fast, and they just they demoralized everything that Virginia Tech came in with. Yeah, um, like you said, it seemed like they could have scored more than they did, um, You know, especially when you start factoring in running clock for the entire second half. Um, they went to the bench more than they typically do. Um, you know, a 12-goal victory could have been, you know, even more lopsided, which, like you said, against an ACC team, one that's given them trouble – Despite the fact that, you know, Jamie's got a remarkable overall record against Virginia Tech, that's typically been close games. And I think it just goes to show that the expectations for this team should be extremely high after the first after the first couple of games. Um, when you look at what they've done against a probably a championship contending Carolina team and now um, a a Virginia Tech team that should be competitive in the ACC at least. Yeah, they, they were really good. I think going into the season, we talked about it a little bit last week. Everybody knew what they had attack-wise. You know, Isabella Peterson is going to score goals. Matty Epke is going to score goals. And the biggest question was the defense and what that young defensive group would look like. And, you know, they had their moments against UNC on Saturday where they showed that, hey, we can hang in with the best teams in the country. We can play great. And then there were some times that they looked young against UNC. But then last night against Tech – Tech's offense could get nothing going against them. Caitlin Bowden and Nett was probably, I would say, the MVP of that game, in my opinion, which is kind of weird to say when you score so many goals. But she came off a UNC game where she got pulled right before the half to kind of calm her down. And then she came back out in the second half against UNC, made some stops, and then against the Hokies, I think she had five saves in the first half. And she just looked completely in control. And uh, Clay said after the game that – she saw her playing a more complete game, completely defending her net more than she did uh, over the weekend. Yeah, and starting out your first career start against uh, the shooters that UNC has um, is is really just kind of getting thrown into the mix very quickly. So to see a a big improvement, I think from you know one game to the next, not necessarily a surprise, but definitely a good sign 
for JMU um, when you look at what they've got in goal and defensively. Um, you know, they continue to play a good schedule. They're going to head up to um, Maryland, the Baltimore area, take on UConn. Um, I believe is still ranked. Yeah, they're well. They didn't play until Wednesday night, and yeah. they did lose, but they were coming in just at number twenty-four, so that may drop yeah. them out next week. Yeah, but <clears throat> has been a solid program. It's one JMU has seen in the NCAA tournament recently, um, so should be another. I think you know measuring stick of somewhat for JMU to leave Centara Park, go play a solid team, and you know, see what they can do um, in that case. Yeah, I think it should be interesting against UConn, too. I think one thing to point out is against Virginia Tech, Maddie Epke did not play a bunch. She started the game, and then kind of toward the end of the first quarter, she was kind of reduced to pretty much only taking draws and then coming off the field. Shelly Clay said after the game, she didn't really hint that it was an injury. She Epke did have her thigh wrapped, so we're not 100% sure. Um, so it should be interesting to come Saturday to see how much she factors into the game uh, because I do think – it's going to be a game that they kind of need their stars to show up, especially early. Yeah, and it makes sense if they wanted to rest her a little bit when they didn't have to uh, didn't have to rely on her scoring goals on Wednesday night. Um, is spring sports they continue to roll on? Softball team also got started with their season, uh, relatively successful start down in Jacksonville, Florida. They win their first four. They drop one to um, Southern Miss. Uh, a Sunbelt opponent in a non-Sunbelt conference game. Um, so, you know, they do see that they've got some work to do, I guess, before they get into conference play. But that's also a game where um, they got pretty solid pitching. They left 11 people on base um, and, you know, really had opportunities to score and take the lead in that game. Um, had the winning run on base in the seventh inning, just couldn't get it across. So overall, I think probably a fairly encouraging start for a softball team. Yeah, I think they needed that too. Like we kind of mentioned last week, it's been a weird couple of years, and to get a, several wins in your opening weekend is going to be a good confidence boost. And even with the loss to Southern Miss, like like you said, they left a lot of people on base, so it takes one hit and they can win that game. Mm-hmm. So I think heading home now, they have a home series uh, or a home tournament, it should be a good boost of confidence. Yeah, and the pitching was – an issue last year. They ended up not having much depth. They had injury problems. Um, and they just completely revamped the pitching staff. And to see that the pitching staff kept them in each game, I think that's probably a good sign. They, they threw a lot of people. Um, multiple people got starts. They're not just going to rely on one arm this season. Um, and Kirsten Fleet ends up being you know, the Sunbelt Pitcher of the Week as a freshman in her first week of college softball sort of living up to the expectations as, you know, potentially, I mean, I can't say this for 100% sure, but potentially the highest rated recruit I think JMU's had in any sport come out of high school. Um, so far living up to the expectations. Yeah, she was really great. And I, I do want to give a, a little bit of a shout out to Alyssa Humphrey too, because we didn't know how much she would be used in the starting rotation. And she did play very, very well against Ball State. So I think that was a good boost for her after the last several years of kind of being the main pitcher, but then kind of having some struggles too. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely, yeah, kind of a a good comeback for her. Um, Hopefully, for her sake, you know, completely healthy at this point and ready to to take on whatever role they end up giving her, probably at least some out of the bullpen for for this team. Um, With that said, you know, quick 
softball recap, and they get started with their home portion of the schedule this weekend. Um, two games on Friday, one game on Saturday, and then two games on Sunday in their own home uh, invitational uh, <clears throat> early season action for them if you want to get out to Veterans Memorial Park and see softball team play. But we'll, we'll hit a little heavier on baseball. We didn't talk about that much last week, but they're getting their season started, and they jump right into it with um, four games, I believe, against yeah. Arkansas. Trial by fire. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it again, baseball, it's one of those sports. It takes one hit, and they can get a win. But they are going to an Arkansas team that just has a history of being really good. They're coming in number three in the country right now. So it's it's going to be – to say it's a test early I think is an understatement. I mean, this is going to – I don't. it's hard to even predict how it's going to play out. Um, I think JMU definitely needs to uh, focus on trying to get some runs on the board, even if they're not winning games. Just get the confidence boost up. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's not going to be a situation where if they come back 0-4, 1-3, that – you're <clears throat> panicking too much. But like you said, it's also, I guess, an opportunity where, you know, if you get one win in this situation and um, later on you're kind of, you know, talking about potential postseason or something, it could be one of those one of those wins that you talk point to as far as, you know, a resume type of situation. Even if on the whole, like, you don't do a whole lot this weekend, it, it's an opportunity, I think, Um with not a whole lot to lose for the Dukes. Yeah, I think it's it's always big when you can get a win over an SEC program, especially in a sport like baseball. They, especially in recent years, have just kind of run the table in the SEC, and it seems like every year it's a different program there that's kind of becoming the best. And they've they've won against SEC teams. I I know they have a few against Tennessee, um, mainly because mm-hmm. my dad and I talk about it. Uh, but so I think it, to get one win there would definitely be something and I think it's something that they can keep in their pocket I know kind of going back to lacrosse they talked about the UNC win being something that that they can keep in their pocket throughout the season and a win against Arkansas for baseball very much could be that too yeah and you know on the on the lacrosse side of things historically when JMU has gotten a victory against either either North Carolina or Maryland those have always kind of been the measuring sticks for that particular program in the regular season, if they can win one of those games, they know their opportunity to do something special during the season is there. Um, it could be a similar type of thing for baseball, where if you get a victory, and it, you know, in baseball you can get kind of like fluky victories, but it also kind of puts you in position to think, hey, we're capable of doing just about anything if we get if we get the right performances and we get our pitching and timely hitting. We, we could do something special, which, you know, getting that kind of confidence boost early on can't hurt. We saw that in basketball for, for the Jamie men's to win that game at Michigan State early in the season. You know, it ends up not being, you know, a top five top of victory like they thought at the time. But it's still, I think, completely changed, like, the mindset of that team going forward as far as, you know, what they were capable of doing this season. Yeah, and I think for baseball, too, I think they really need to enter this series with – they don't have a lot to lose right now. They, they're not. They, the preseason rankings came out for the Sun Belt, and they're projected to finish tenth in the Sun Belt. So right now, it's more that they just have a lot of things that they, if they win, it's just building on what was kind of a questionable season to start with. I mean, I think a lot of people right now are 
I guess we haven't even touched on it yet, Marlon Eikenberry signing his extension with the baseball team. So I think there are two camps. There are people that are very happy that he's still kind of the, the front man of the baseball team because he's a great ambassador for the school. And then there are people who look at him and they're like, he is 184 and 184 as baseball's head coach, and they want something from him, and they want something from his program, especially now being in the Sun Belt. So I think just being able to go in against Arkansas and just kind of play loose and play just a JMU baseball and have fun with it, and you may get that one weird win that you can use for the rest of the season. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting situation, I think, with Eikenberry as far as you know what you do with his contract. They did end up extending it for a couple of years, um, which I think helps probably as far as having your players and your recruits and everyone feel comfortable, at least to some degree. But like you said, he he's 500 over you know his career at JMU, um, which as far as JMU sports goes is not meeting the standard of the not, rest of yeah. the rest of the program. So I can understand I guess where fans are coming from. As far as you know, wondering why why he's getting extension, maybe why he he wasn't let go in one of the previous seasons. Although they did show some some signs of you know improving, I think last year um, and being relatively competitive in the Sun Belt, which is, is a tougher conference than the CAA. Yeah, I was gonna say people like to look at the postseason results, and they're and they're obviously right now they're not there for Eikenberry. I think his best finish with JMU in the postseason was fifth in the CAA when he was hired in 2016 as it was his first season. And I think JMU baseball could have done something in 2020. Obviously the pandemic kind of shot that down. So I, it's, and being in the Sun Belt now too, like you said, it's a better conference and people are wondering why he wasn't maybe let go a few years ago. I think a lot of that may have been JMU didn't have the pull to get necessarily this great coach when they're in the CAA. Now that they're in the Sun Belt, a better baseball conference. I mean, I know Southern Miss, they hosted a super regional last year. So, like, these are good teams that they're playing against. There's more of a draw to maybe go out and find a better coach. But also at the same time, Marlon Eikenberry is still here. And I think his contract originally was supposed to expire at the end of the year. That's a really weird time for JMU with Jeff Bourne leaving and a new AD coming in and potentially having to hire someone right after the bat, right off the bat. So I think another two years to kind of – see what he can get going in the Sun Belt is a good thing. And in two years from now, if he's not really growing the program in this uh, conference, you have a new AD who can potentially go out and find someone. Yeah, and if you do have a new AD this spring or summer who's motivated to make a move, I don't think a two-year extension is probably going to be a strong deterrent. I, I would mm-hmm. imagine the buyout's not huge for baseball. Um, if that's something that a new AD – like I said, is motivated to want to do early on um, or if it's something that like maybe goes on the back burner because there's a lot of things that the new AD is going to want to address starting with fundraising probably when they get here. Um, you know, the other thing I think to consider about Eikenberry, his contract, his job status and everything is when you look across the athletic department too, baseball's kind of last on the list as far as like getting the resources they need to compete. It has been so far. They haven't upgraded their stadium you mean you drive by and there's not very many places where the softball stadium is significantly bigger as far as seating than the baseball stadium and that's the case here um you know softball earned their earned their upgrades and everything with their performances on the field but it's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation too as far as you know 
do you spend the money on the teams that are already winning or do those teams win because there's money being spent on mm-hmm. them? And I think, you know, baseball <clears throat> is the one sport at JMU that's a little bit behind their peers and their conference mates when it comes to facilities, probably when it comes to recruiting budget and the ability to go out and like find players and um, they're recruiting territory because, I mean, obviously, you know, teams down south are going to have better players to choose from for the most part. Um, so I think, you know, there is an expectation that every program at JMU should be competing for conference championships. And that makes sense. But I also don't know that baseball has been put in the position to do that as much as basically every other sport on campus right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. I also like, sometimes I just sit there and I think about it too, that athletes, coaches, regardless of their sport, they're naturally very competitive. That's just the nature of being in sports. And so I sometimes just wonder if like the baseball team sits there and they're like, they know that what everybody says about them. They're like, hey, you know, look at every other team here. They're constantly in the top of the Sun Belt rankings, almost immediately joining the league. What's going on? And I, I can't imagine how frustrating that would be to be them and just kind of being like sitting there being like, we can win. We don't necessarily get the funding that other programs do. So I, I really think over the next few years, it's going to be really interesting to see how they grow into the Sun Belt and into that bigger conference. Because I think baseball, like you said, was one of the few programs at JMU that wasn't necessarily at Sun Belt level when the whole school made the jump. Yeah, because they're moving into a conference now where they have moved it to a Sun Belt conference that baseball is important to a lot of schools. And that wasn't the case in the CAA. I mean, um, in, in the CAA, for the most part, JMU was more invested in just about every sport than their peers and you know it it makes a big difference i mean not to take anything away from you know the lacrosse team we were talking about before but like when you're talking about they won a national championship is that the standard then for every sport at jmu to win a national championship i don't think so because there's really only a few dozen schools that are making the same level of investment in women's lacrosse that jmu does oh 100 and so you know you got to kind of consider that you know in in men's basketball there's 300 schools that are trying that are really dedicated to trying to make the ncaa tournament every year and it gets more difficult to do that when you're competing against that many schools and baseball i think is in that situation there's a lot of schools that care about their baseball program and they want it to be good and in the Sun Belt in particular they're just not going to outspend or outdraw or out resource their peers on a year-to-year basis yeah and kind of going off what you said about like you know baseball's a sport that arguably the whole country cares about college-wise I mean you Mm -hmm. have Oregon's always kind of really good but then you also have teams down south that are just as good and then like a program like lacrosse JMU benefits from its location when it comes to lacrosse because it's very much a East Coast heavy sport, especially in the Mid-Atlantic. So they're able to build that strong nationally ranked program in lacrosse just because that's where so many of the good players are from. In baseball, you know, you're hanging around the Virginia area. Okay, Virginia Tech has a really good baseball program. UVA has a really good baseball program. I mean, even down the road, Tennessee has a really good baseball program. Maryland can be competitive. So it's like you have all of these schools pulling versus just maybe – having only a few states for a sport like lacrosse. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where baseball ends up going this season. Um, I think the hope and the expectation as far as 
where to go is that they could put together another winning record and probably finish better than the tents that they're picked in the Sun Belt. Um, we haven't really talked about like their personnel at all. Obviously, bring back Fenwick Trimble, um, an all-conference player. What, what should we expect, I guess, from who they have on the roster? Do you think that that is a reasonable expectation to finish better in 10th? I think finishing better than 10th is honestly possible for them. I remember back in December when I was down in Texas for the bowl game, I was talking to someone within athletics, and they said, listen, for baseball, we could finish 5th. We could finish 10th. We could finish 4th. We could finish 10th. So that entire, outside of the top three, I think that entire group of Sunbelt teams from 4th to 10th can kind of move around a little bit. When it came to the voting for the preseason standings, JMU's close to the teams that are above them in the standings. So I I definitely think they could jump up a few spots. I don't necessarily think 10th is hard and fast where they're going to finish. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see what they get out of the football pro or sorry the baseball program <laughs> you know this season and if if the fan base becomes a little bit more happy with where the baseball program is by the time may and june come around i i don't know what to what what to expect really but uh we'll find out pretty soon just exactly where they are because they're about to hit the field um <clears throat> I, I i slipped and said football because i was thinking about how to transition into some football talk um you know obviously the, the, there really is no off season for college football. Not anymore. even in the slightest. <laughs> and um, you know they continue to um, make some staff roster additions. Uh, spring football is not too far away. Um, tell me, you know, you obviously covered um, what's happening over there as far as you know, adding some staff and uh, promotion for uh, Matt Transu. Just give me kind of the basic recap what's happening over the past week or so on the football side of things. Yeah, so staff-wise, Bob Chesney kind of completed his first official staff, and they were hirings. I think he added – well, Matt Transu got the promotion to assistant AD for football uh, administration. So then director of football operations opens up, and Bob Chesney brings in Jordan Smith, who was with him for four seasons at Holy Cross. So it's a familiar name for Chesney – Knows him, knows a good chunk of the staff, obviously, since a good chunk came from Holy Cross. And then he also brings in a director of player personnel and fills the last defensive grad assistant position. So several of those roles are kind of the behind the scenes people that you don't necessarily see on Saturdays when they're playing the game, but are arguably equally as important as any coach on that staff and how they handle things. So that was kind of the coaching side. Um, Player-wise, they finally released their 2024 spring roster and there were some names that were question marks for the last month who I had been trying to find out hard and fast answers about and I think some of those are you know Taurus Jones, Abby Okonji, Salmon Van Horse is probably the one that was the most surprising. Okonji and Jones both had some social media activity that I had been tracking for like the last month that I was pretty positive they were back. Van Horse needed the medical waiver to be able to come back and I happened to walk by him in the APC the other week and I'm like that's a little interesting didn't know you were still hanging around school so those are those are some big names to get back on the on the roster especially kind of in this transition period with a bunch of new coaches and new players yeah and um I think basically all three of those guys if they come back healthy are going to be impact players Mm -hmm. um for JBU I mean Solomon has had uh, about as rough a time injury-wise as, <laughs> yeah. as, as anybody um, kind of continued to injure uh, the foot. Um, 
I believe has had surgery, though. I don't know if that'll be like the permanent fix. But I mean, if you could get a full season out of him, um, he adds to what's already become a very um, deep and talented running back room. But um, he's ha- he's a guy who's had a specialty for, for this team um, in the past. He catches the ball really well out of the backfield. He's good in the return game. Um, so even the fact that they add some um, running backs that I think are bound to get a lot of carries – I could see there being a role for him if he comes back healthy. Oh, 100%. I think Van Horse is a really interesting one to follow. I have his, like, he is, in his career, he has 399 rushing yards, but then he also has, or sorry, did I say 599 rushing yards? He has 590 receiving yards, so he only has nine less receiving yards. So this is a player that can be used in multiple different ways, and at the same time, if we're talking about where he's the most productive, he has 661 yards off kick returns. This is a guy who has a place on this team when he's healthy, and he's shown what he can do in big moments, and he can get in the end zone when needed. And I think he's definitely a big addition to the offense, again, just because he knows the program so well. I mean, he's been at JMU since 2018. He didn't really start factoring in on the football team until 2019, but he's someone who has the experience that JMU's going to want to look to. And and I think he's a guy who has proven he has the desire to be on the field. Um, I think I personally, and I wasn't alone, when he got hurt this last time, speculated that was probably it for him. He's a guy who's, who's continually had similar injuries and, you know, had, had been in the program that long, continues to get hurt, like you wouldn't have been surprised if he was done with, mm-hmm. with his football career at that point. He, he continued to hang around the building, watch practice, be around the program. He, he certainly had a desire to continue his football career. And, you know, that goes a long way. I mean, you know, yeah, it, it does. of course, desire has a lot to do with it. And um, it, if he can stay healthy, I think, I think that's probably a – um, underrated addition in this offseason. Um, you know, you look at Abby is a guy who was a starter. He, you know, he barely played, but he w- earned a starting job he, on one of the best defensive lines in the country last year. To bring him back after you lose some of those guys, I think is also a very key addition. I'm really excited to see what he can do on the defensive line because he was – in his first few seasons at JMU, he was kind of one of those guys that would rotate in on the defensive line. Understandably so. They've been stacked at defensive line for years now. And he was so close, like you said, to getting that breakout of finally being the one of the main guys on the defensive line. He gets hurt against Bucknell and is done for the season. And then he enters the transfer portal at the end of the year. So I think it's it's really exciting, I think, to see kind of what he can bring right now. He's at 47 career tackles. I would obviously expect that number to go up a substantial amount if he can stay healthy this year. Um, so I think he's definitely just a great addition on that line. Again, like Van Horst, knows the program, knows the FBS level. I mean, he came originally from Minnesota down to JMU when they were still at the FCS level. So I think that's definitely a name to kind of keep an eye on as spring ball gets going next month. Yeah. And, you know, Torres Jones, I think, is also it, – it's very intriguing to look at that guy who was – he, he was an all-conference caliber player um, in 2022 um, and then <clears throat> basically loses his starting job just because he got hurt um, and you, you couldn't really take Aiden Fisher yeah, you- off the field off of that after that. And, um, you know, one thing I think, I think for better or for worse, Kurt Signetti 
went with the very best guy for as many snaps in a game as he could. And so it means like a guy like Torres Jones, who's very capable last year, just wasn't on the field as much as he was accustomed to. And I think, you know, the frustration in that was very visible with him um, and was not surprised at all that he entered the transfer portal as soon as the season ends. And also not surprised really that he's going to come back now that there's a change in the coaching mm-hmm. staff because I think he likes it here. He, he's a Virginia guy and um, has an opportunity to really have a good season in a place he's familiar with. Um, so basically just, you know, another big addition that's not even an addition to this team, uh, I guess kind of a bonus to think you're getting this guy back. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Out of the, all of the guys that are coming back that we found out about this week, Torres Jones is actually kind of the one that I think will make the biggest impact next season. Like you said, he was uh, third team all Sun Belt in their first year. And like you said, he, he gets hurt, and Aiden Fisher comes in and just plays out of this world, so you can't take him off the field. But when I initially tweeted out that Torres Jones was back, I have to mention this because I do think it really speaks to who he is. One of his former teammates, Chris Chukwinecki, who just finished his eligibility at JMU, was, uh, responded to the tweet and was like, TJ will be a difference maker again. Um, bookmark this tweet. So his, his former teammates believe in him. He's a great player. Linebacker is such an important position, especially on the defense, the, the quarterbacks of the defense. And the fact that he knows this program so well, he knows the Sun Belt really well, he's going to factor in on defense. And you bring in someone like Jacob Dobbs, who's coming with Chesney from Holy Cross, that's going to be two really, really solid linebackers. Yeah, and, you know, bring back Trent Hendrick. So um, we'll see. They'll probably play – more than two linebackers more than JMU has in the past so having some depth there is also is also big I mean that's what hurt you know TJ last season too I mean if he's in a more traditional 4-3 type of situation he's probably on the field a lot last year rather than getting as frustrated as he did with the lack of playing time and and you mentioned third string or third team all Sunbelt two years ago arguably could have been higher i think they just probably, yeah. they probably didn't want to put like two jv linebackers <laughs> on the first team like i mean but he was that good a I, couple yeah. years ago um you know that's that's a big addition i mean you talk about the guys that jamie lost we're starting to see that roster um accumulate probably similar talent levels when you look across the board what they've done in the portal and and the guys like these that you know that kind of snagged back out of the portal mm-hmm. and going off one more person that they snagged back out of the portal was wide receiver Desmond Green hasn't factored in a lot I mm-hmm. um at JMU I think he hasn't ha- had any playing time over the last two seasons he had like one reception in his first year so he is also back with JMU out of the portal I think it's kind of a question mark right now how much he'll play at the same time sometimes all it takes is a new coach and you will see a guy kind of really grow into a role. So along with Van Horace, Abby, and Torres Jones, Desmond Green is also back, and maybe we'll see an increase in playing time than what he's previously had. Yeah, spring football will uh, give us a lot to look for this year because we'll get an idea of <clears throat> just what systems they're going to run. Because, um, I mean, with Chesney, he's, he's adjusted to his personnel in the past. Um, so – I think that would be our first real indication of like just what kind of packages and things we're going to see out of this team with the personnel they have. Um, and then obviously we'll probably have more changes coming after spring to discuss. But um, 
really a lot to look forward to as far as just seeing them back on the field, maybe as much as any year in a long time. Yeah, I'm also just really excited to see a Bob Chesney practice, even if it's spring practice, which will be a little bit different compared to what it is in the fall. Because when he was hired, one of the things that was talked about so much was his practices are fun. Like, he's having a good time. He's running around with the guys playing. So I'm excited to be able in the next month, get there, see what they're doing once they're back on the field and how a Bob Chesney practice looks. Yeah, a lot of things will change um, just as far as, you know, the way things are done day to day. And uh, it'll be, you know, interesting comparisons as we go forward yeah. between, you know, the previous staff and the new one. Um, so, yeah, we'll continue to have plenty of football stuff to talk about. Um, that just about wraps it up for uh, this week's edition of the Purple and Bold podcast. Um, we'll get and hit, hit some more basketball stuff next week. Um, continue to talk spring sports. As always, continue to talk football. But in the meantime, I'm Shane Metlin. I've been here with Katie Harper uh, from the Daily News Record. And thank you for tuning in.